Kennedy Paradox, Chapter 13. Over Miami, Florida, Wednesday, March 1st, 1961, 8.15 a.m. Patch's knowledge of the future confused most everyone in 1961. The vengeance resonated loud enough for him to feel it in his wrists. He peeked over Kate's shoulder at the blue ocean horizon several thousand feet below. Waves gently ripped toward a cluttered shoreline. The names were clear in his head. Carlos Sanchez. Carlos Sanchez had orchestrated the nuclear attacks 25 years from now, and Willis had alluded to Carlos defecting to the United States. Bonheim, from the East Germany of this time, might be associated with communist elements. Stephen Higgins had the technological knowledge to construct the bombs that would decimate American cities. Stopping Higgins' defection behind the Iron Curtain within the next few days would end his bomb-making career and give Patch credibility. He turned to Mankiewicz in the back seat. Plane is making its turn over Miami, Ray. Mankiewicz set down a copy of Time Magazine's coverage of the Kennedy inauguration in January. He looked out the window. Listen up. We'll be heading to an intelligence station camp in South Florida. Not too far from Cuba, are we? Ninety-plus miles. Mankiewicz shielded their conversation with the magazine. Patch, what exactly did I tell you at Sector 13 about your retrograde? You figured I'd have a couple of weeks. By calculating that to 1961, it's almost impossible to tell. You need an advocate back here. Just in case the two of you are suddenly retrograded back, you need to level with me about what you know. Kate listened closely. He's got a point, Patch. Eavesdropper, said Patch, smiling, and he squeezed her hand. Mankiewicz unbuckled his belt and slid out of the seat. Patch looked up at him and grinned. I'll have another Coke, stewardess. Extra ice. Mankiewicz squatted down and grabbed his arm. Be serious. I know the effects of retrograde, in theory, and it seems to me that history has to be changed. You have to prevent nuclear annihilation. You need to give me the names of the terrorists. The smile retreated from Patch's face. Ray, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you hear, but the plain fact is you don't trust me fully. You want my trust for this damn time travel story, but you won't trust me. Patch did not reply as Mankiewicz's point made returned to his seat. Kate's drawn face reflected a bitter consternation. He's right, Kate. I don't fully trust him. You're afraid they'll kill us. That is exactly right. The plane circled over the ocean. Patch rubbed his chin. He thought about briefing Mankiewicz. By remaining silent, he would ensure his own survival. Yet, unarmed, with no information, Mankiewicz would have a minimal impact on preventing the 1986 destruction. He closed his eyes and held Kate's hand for several minutes as the jet dipped downward. The bright sun stung his eyes, and an array of palm-dotted roads materialized through the window glare. The entire landscape below and the Caribbean were like sectors in some advanced video game. Yet Cuba had emerged as a real place less than a hundred miles away. Castro created problems Patch could not understand. Carlos, Bonheim, and Higgins were real too. And for the first time, Patch sensed the building pressure to stop them now. Merely thinking about it would not prevent the loss of millions of innocent lives in 1986. Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, Broward County, Florida, Wednesday, March 1st, 1961, 
9.19 a.m. At the bottom of the sleek white jet's corrugated metal ramp, a cocky, scruffy-haired Cuban introduced himself as Ramon Perez Garcia. A dark revolver stuck in his loose cocky pants imparted the seriousness of the exile cause. I am a member of Delta 99, Captain. Do you know who we are? Wind picked up slightly as they marched through the warm, salty air. Can't say that I do. I don't believe your bullshit story, neither does anyone else down here. He pointed to a shiny blue Ford Falcon behind a chain-link fence. Two dark-haired men in street clothes lingered along the fence. I fought with Castro before, but now I have sworn to kill the pig. I will demand to see certain people. Oh, you will? Mankiewicz trotted along beside Kate and Patch. The two men near the fence were gone. You don't demand anything, Patch. I'll stand by what I said. I'm going to have to talk to certain people. Ramon stopped and looked up at Patch. Shut up. We will ask the questions. Patch did at Ramon as Kate held on to his elbow. Over to the blue car. He removed his pistol and waved it through the air. Ramon then opened the driver's door and threw the pistol on the seat. Patch climbed in back, wedged between Kate and Mankiewicz. He studied the area around the fence and back to the terminal. I thought I saw two guys near this car. No, you shut up, said Mankiewicz. The hell with your Delta 99 bullshit. You're just driving the goddamn car. Now let's get to the camp. The lines on Ramon's forehead deepened. This is serious business. I will give my life to free my homeland. Well, don't give it now. I didn't know you spoke Spanish, Ray. Say, Patch smiled as they raced out of the airport. The Everglades, South Florida, Wednesday, March 1st, 1961, 2.43 p.m. Mankiewicz's gold Timex indicated an hour had passed since they left the airport and traveled down a state highway. Cars and trucks heading for Miami occasionally whooshed by the Falcon. An AM station in Miami mixed with the warm breezes swirling in the open windows as they drove into a rural, swampy area. WFUN, Miami, thunderful and wonderful. Turn back the clock, journey in time with the fun guys again this weekend. Half from the past, half from the present. Miami's exciting musical weekend, the fun flashback festival. This weekend and every weekend on WFUN. Turn back the clock, Ray. That's my job, said Mankiewicz, his hair whipping in the breeze. It's here. It's new. The exclusive hit for you. Miami, you first heard this on Fun Radio. Here's a brand new fun discovery. Patch smiled at Caden. He leaned back in the vinyl seat. As if he were in a complex chess game, Patch weighed the implication of releasing the names. Mankiewicz believed the time travel story, but no one else did. Dropping Carlos's name without gaining the credibility from nabbing Stephen Higgins would render him useless to the spy masters. Or perhaps they might keep him and Kate around for further questioning. This is WFUN, where the world passes in review at the Fundamental News at 55. I'm Tom Warner. The big news in Washington today is President Kennedy's announcement establishing a Peace Corps. I have today signed an executive order providing for the establishment of a Peace Corps on a temporary pilot basis. I'm also sending to Congress a message opposing authorization of a permanent Peace Corps. This Corps will be a pool of trained men and women sent overseas by the United States government or through private institutions and organizations to 
help foreign countries meet their urgent needs for skilled manpower. Ramon flipped off the radio and pulled the car onto a sandy shoulder. Peace Corps, my ass. The only thing in this world that's understood is force and fighting for what you want. Ramon checked a new folded map. Occasional tree clumps dotted the grass under puffy white clouds tapering north. Ramon, you're lost, said Megwitz. No, no, I know where I'm going, so you let me do the driving. You need to travel another ten miles at least, Ramon, said Megwitz. He leaned toward Patch. He's lost. I didn't know Kennedy started the Peace Corps, said Patch. Interesting concept. I think it's good PR against the Russians. And with the locals, said Kate. No, it's more than that, Ray. It's, it's giving the emerging nations a better choice than the Russians. Megowitz nodded. Ramon spun off the shoulder, leaving a dust trail on the state road behind. He mumbled something in Spanish and accelerated up the highway. Just let me remind you, Patch, you're down here because Robert Askham said you could come down here. Most everyone else wants you in a safe house or worse. I understand that. Grassy swamp and distant trees mesmerized Patch. Is that what they do with me after Higgins scares the ash come out of me? The radio erupted with music as Ramon drove the car too quickly on the unpaved road through the grassy swamp. Patch hit his head on the car roof several times as Kate hung on to him. What's the hurry, hotshot? yelled Mankiewicz. He leaned forward. Slow down or I'll report you. I'll drive like I want. Mankiewicz sat back in the seat. He tilted his head toward Patch. I'll fix his ass. As Patch grinned, the falcon dipped and then violently jerked to the right. Ramon spun the wheel as the car fishtailed and plowed sideways into the brush. The engine stalled, but the radio still played, and steam rose from the front hood. Mankiewicz flipped the door handle and kicked open the side door. Kate opened the other door, and for a few seconds they all stood on the dirt road. Where are we? asked Patch. We're less than a mile from the camp. What about Ramon? Mankiewicz turned. Never mind him. Come on, let's hightail it to the checkpoint. He held Kate's hand along the gritty road. The birds had an odd chirp, like a blue jay and frogs clicking continuously. Mankiewicz actually marched ahead of them. I keep forgetting that Ray is 25 years younger, said Patch. A guttural sound echoed from the water to his right. What the hell was that? Ah, don't worry. It's just a gator. Patch gripped Kate's hand as they ran up to Mankiewicz. A what? Gator, run in a zigzag pattern if he exits a swamp. Oh, great, said Patch as he looked over his shoulder. And the gator bellowed again. Patch, already jumpy, rushed by him. Mankiewicz broke into a full laugh. A checkpoint with two brown army tents on either side blocked the road 300 yards ahead. Patch turned to ask Mankiewicz about the tents. Back across the swamp, a huge explosion shook the area. Patch, Mankiewicz, and Kate dove to the dirt. Come on, down to the tents. Marines in full combat gear rushed down the road and assumed a horseshoe formation with rifles pointed. Patch's heart pounded as Kate hung onto his arm. All of this and now we get blown away. Mankiewicz stood. Get under control, Patch. The Marine ordered them to freeze. How are you getting out of this, asked Patch. Several soldiers advanced up the road with M16s drawn. Relax. Mankiewicz removed his wallet and unfolded a gold badge. A clean-shaven Marine spoke first. Identify yourself. He held the gold badge toward the soldier. Mankiewicz. The Marine took this badge and quickly handed it back. What happened, sir? 
We were driven from Lauderdale on a 1959 Ford Falcon, tag number 16G45119. Patch raised his brows. Raymond Perez was our driver. He drove like a maniac up this road and ditched the car in the swamp. Back at the Lauderdale airport, there were two Latin-looking men by the fence. The soldier turned to Mankiewicz. You were here to see Dan Preslin. Correct. Bring these people to Dan Preslin. They want three more men down to that car. Approach off-road. Yes, sir. As they started down with the Marines, Patch stared at Mankiewicz. Ray, what exactly is going on in this place? I'm not at liberty to say, said Mankiewicz as they walked between the tents. Bombs, Marines, and Cubans. Yeah, welcome to summer camp, Patch. One of the soldiers opened up the shingled white building's front door and they walked into the cold air. Fans on pedestals spun on both sides of the hall. Several men in shirt sleeves motioned them down the cinder block corridor to a stubby cubbyhole room with open blinds. The soldier flipped the fan switch. Then he walked across the red tiles to the door and left. The door slammed shut. Patch sat with Kate on the tight-knit green couch. Mankiewicz rocked in the rocking chair. What happens now, Raymond? Who the hell knows? The silver lock on the door turned, and the door opened hard enough to bang against the cinder blocks. A well-built Latin man with trim curly hair and sunglasses flashed a smile at Patch. He nodded his head and pulled out a chrome-barreled handgun and folded his arms at the door. They called him Zamka. Ray? Then he looked at Patch. So, you're the time traveler. He started down the corridor. I am. Sit down. Patch fell back on the couch. And to whom do I have the pleasure? You don't, he said, and he took a step inside. Someone walked quickly down the outside hallway. A stocky, blonde man went rounded the corner. For several moments, he studied Patch as if he were absorbing some kind of internal profile. Good afternoon. Hello, said Kate. Patch said nothing. Ray, he said, and he shook hands with Mankiewicz. How are you, Dan? Last time I saw you was in Berlin. Nothing is forever. I'll shut the door, Dan, said Zamker at the door. Preslin lit the cigarette with a matching gold lighter. We went over that car. Ramon was killed instantly, a plastic explosive. He must have been jostled by the crash. Patch visualized the two men at the fence, but said nothing. He understood that only by chance they were still alive. Someone was obviously out to get us, said Mankiewicz, which means security has been broken. We're aware of that, Ray. Might have been Ramon's big mouth. Well, I can vouch for that. Cigarette? He asked as he removed a cigarette from a cigarette case in his suit coat pocket. Pat shook his head. In a couple weeks, I'll have an appointment at the Fontainebleau in Miami. I'll be dealing with three of the more powerful people in this country. Who's that? Captain Kincaid, the man who is using Colonel Robert Garrison Kincaid's identity. Maybe you should just explain who you are and why you're here. I told Dietrich and Choden that Colonel Kincaid is my father. Preslin laughed loudly and looked at the other man. He inhaled on the cigarette. You two are the same age, for Christ's sakes. Well, I've come back in time, that is true. Oh, Christ, I need a drink. He walked to the window fan and turned down the speed and spoke while peering through the blinds. Captain, my friend, we're at a critical point in an operation that has global importance. Things just over the past few days have been accelerated from above. 
We have the Russians in this hemisphere. We're working with people who are fighting for their homeland. They take things very seriously. Patch furrowed his brow. My mission is to stop the future destruction of U.S. cities. Zamka rumbled through the doorway and held a handgun outward. Your life means nothing to us, Kincaid. Preslin let the blinds fall back in place and face Patch. Listen, you have the names of certain individuals. Yes, I do. Good. Who are they? How can I trust you? You can't. I see. He nodded at Zamka by the door. Mankwitz and the girl, out. Zamka's face tightened with a seriousness that put Patch on guard. He nodded at Kate and squeezed her hand. She and Mankiewicz sidestepped into the hall. Zamka slammed the door and Patch faced Preslin. Preslin finished the cigarette with a puffy flourish and twisted it into a simple metal ashtray on the side desk. He looked the part of an agent, perhaps more than the others. They were administrators, but Preslin seemed to live up to the image. He pressed his lips, a kind of fatherly gesture, as he positioned himself around ten feet from Patch. There are people in East Berlin who long for freedom. They were willing to risk anything just for a taste of free life. Do you and any of your people know anything about a human being's longing for the ability to chart their own course? Why would I think otherwise, asked Patch. Because you work for the Russians and so does your girlfriend. Dropping you in here, so clever. Not true, I know my story sounds like science fiction. We brought people longing for freedom into West Berlin through the tunnel till the snow melted. I think you need to talk with people who yearn for freedom, Captain. People who are forced out by Fidel Castro and his thugs. Listen, you're working for Alexander Moon. Moon was before my time. I'm trying to prevent nuclear attacks in the future. So you say. Tomorrow you will get to know people who will not tolerate any communist tricks. You will meet exiles from Cuba. And some of those soldiers are fighting for freedom. I'm not a communist. Spend some time with those people, Captain. Let's just see what happened to their homeland. You'll have the opportunity, under close scrutiny, of course, to answer questions you might not have answered from me. Patch respected how Preslin forced the issue in this chess match. The dark world of mind games would be futile, but the admiration melded into intimidation. He would tell them about Higgins. It would be a matter of time before they located the doctor and prevented his pending defection to the old Soviet Union. Patch spoke with the clarity of a public address announcer. Dr. Stephen Higgins. Preslin stopped and rotated like a panning security camera. And who is Dr. Stephen Higgins? What relevance does he have to this operation? Patch stood and walked slowly across the room to Preslin. Except for his blinking, bulging eyes, he didn't flinch. You'd better locate him. Why? This man will build the nuclear bombs in 1986. Oh, come on, Captain. Cut the shit. Send Mankiewicz in here. Patch became annoyed at not being believed. Mankiewicz returned to the room and Preslin closed the door. Ray, who the hell is Dr. Stephen Higgins? Higgins does research up in Wisconsin. He's not high level by any means. I know of him, but I've never met him. He will be high level. He's about to defect to the Soviets sometime at the beginning of March 1961. Higgins, a defector? Makes no sense. Why him? asked Preslin. Oh, I suppose if you studied his politics, you'd probably find out. Patch looked at Mankiewicz. 
Listen, Higgins will mastermind the building of the bombs. Stop him from defecting and you have a good shot at stopping the nuclear annihilation. The program, unless he's already defected, was in early March 1961 and that's what Ray told me. Why did you tell him that, Ray? In the future, I told him, answered Makowitz. Preslin laughed for the first time. Okay, I'll accept this absurdity. Where can we nab this bomb maker? Mankiewicz's face contorted as if he had persistent indigestion. He paced between both men. The Soviets wouldn't want Stephen Higgins. It would be like a major league team going after a high school player. What do you want us to do, Captain? Asked Preslin. Don't let him go over. I'm not saying kill him or anything. Just don't let him defect. Mankiewicz pinched the bridge of his nose. This man dabbles in quantum mechanics research on a low level. He certainly hasn't made a name for himself. Yet, you knew who he was. I don't remember him building nuclear bombs. I'll make some calls. We'll question Higgins. Preslin put one hand on Patcher's shoulder and shook his other hand. You made the right choice, Captain. Now let's test your credibility.